Welcome to another Innovation Forum podcast with me, Ian Welsh. Joining me today is Nigel Payne, who's Supply Chain Director at Britvic. Welcome to the podcast, Nigel. Hello, thank you. Nigel, why don't you start us off by giving us a very quick introduction to Britvic as a business. What's its size and what do you guys do? So Britvic's soft drinks manufacturer. We make market sell soft drinks, have been doing since the 1930s. Most people will know it's a traditional British company, but today it's a two billion pound market cap organization with production sites in Great Britain, Brazil, France, Ireland, and offices in other far-flung places from the US all the way to Asia. And what are your main impacts as a business then? Let's start with our sustainability strategy. So we have this as healthier people, healthier planet, and that probably gives you some kind of idea of the two areas we're looking at. From a healthier planet perspective, it's really about a combination of three things. One is our packaging and the impact that has our carbon reduction, particularly through our manufacturing and, and the supply chain side of the business. But also really important to us is addressing water scarcity in the areas that we're making products. Then from the healthier people perspective, there's a whole number of ranges internally. This could be looking at diversity or wage equality. And if I look from an external lens, so from a consumer side of it, it's such things as calorie reduction in our drink. And these are areas we've been working on for a long time. If I just give you an example of one of them, so if I take calorie reduction, for example, we've been doing this in three ways. One is about reformulating our drinks, ones we currently make. Another one is new innovation. So making products ongoing with less calories. And the other way, which you might not think about, is how we use the power of the brands to educate our consumers. So, for example, we would only advertise our low or no calorie drink brands where available. So how are these impacts evolving? How have they been changing over the past few years? I've talked about calorie reduction. Let's just move on to some of the more sort of environmental. So if I talk about plastic, carbon and water then, all of these are becoming more and more pressing matters. What that does, that creates a bit of pressure in the organisation. That pressure actually creates quite an inspiring positive action. So it puts resource in the business, people, time and energy behind finding solutions. So in terms of what we're doing and how this is evolving within the business, if I take our carbon reduction programme to start with, we already made a commitment And that was about reducing the carbon produced in our operations, so our direct emissions, by 50%. And then our downstream operations, so our third party contributors, by 35% by 2025. And we put a baseline in of 2017. We're just over halfway through that journey at the moment. If I take about plastic, This is something we've been gradually transitioning. So moving our plastic products, so plastic bottles, PET, for example, into recycled PET. That's one way of moving forward. The other thing we're doing is just reducing the amount of packaging we need overall. So that could be done in plastic through lightweighting our bottles. And again, we've been doing that. If I take a measure from 2017, up until the end of last year, we've taken just over 4,000 tonnes of plastic out through lightweighting bottles. And then the final one I talked about was water, and this is around scarcity. The goal here is for us to reduce the amount of water we use for every litre of product that we make. And that can be done a number of ways. So for example, we could recapture the water we're using and recycle it for cleaning, or just using more efficient technology, better pumps, for example. And then there's an external lens on that as well, 
which goes into the community. So, for example, we've been working with the Rivers Trust wetland projects in a couple of our sites up and down the country in Leeds and Beckton. How do you work out or calculate when these potentially conflict? I mean, for example, you talked about reducing your plastic use, changing your packaging. What happens when you find that, well, making a reduction in that actually increases your carbon impact elsewhere, for example? How do you balance these impacts out? Definitely a difficult one to do. And there's some very clever people employed, just as I've said, you know, the urgency creates resource and often you need help to get to the answers in these things. So we have a clear target against each one. And you're absolutely right. There is interaction between them. If I take, for example, the the carbon you mentioned there, so cutting our carbon, increasing efficiency. I've talked about the targets there. Again, there's a number of ways you can do this. It's about improving our energy efficiency. So that would just be better in our operations. It could be about using low carbon technology and therefore we use just less resources as we're making our product. And the other bit is working with our partners because ultimately our partners has a massive part to play. Certainly the technology side and and if I think about our production sites, we're very reliant on our partners coming up with fantastic ideas to help us have more energy efficient solutions. Do you outsource your manufacturing then to partners or how much of it is manufactured in-house? If I just take the UK business as an example, and it's very similar numbers around the world, 95% of everything we sell in the United Kingdom is made by BrickVic in the United Kingdom. There's a small amount of that that we outsource to third party, just where we may not have the current technology or it might be a new product for us that we want to test in the market before we go live. And we can work with people who are much more efficient and effective in that already for us. Where I was talking about there, Ian, was the equipment that we have, the manufacturers of the equipment are always looking for new technology and efficiency on our behalf. You mentioned some interim targets then on your, I guess, your scope one and scope three emissions for 2025. What's your net zero strategy? What does that look like? It's about increasing efficiency for us. We've already talked about being carbon neutral by 2050. I did mention the ways that we're trying to do this. What we've done is effectively signed up to Science-Based Targets Initiative. Obviously, you'll know the format of that, but for us, it does a great job in setting out methods and targets. We were the first soft drinks company, actually, in the United Kingdom to sign up in 2019 to have a 1.5 degree Celsius target and have that verified by science-based targets. And so 2050 net zero carbon and presumably you'll have continually evolving interim targets along the way. Yeah, exactly. So we already put in the first stage in that glide path of 2025 and the 50% reduction in direct emissions. Obviously, the marketplace, our customer base and technology is changing all the time. Pressure is a wonderful thing in business to you know, accelerate solutions. At the moment, we're very confident of hitting that 2050 target and over time, we'll continue to review that. We have a committee internally that is ongoing reviewing all of those targets and working through our, our board to make sure that we're in line with marketplace expectations, customers, consumers and suppliers. You mentioned just now suppliers, and we talked about this a little already, but clearly supplier relationships are going to be key for companies like Britvic to achieve the ambitious targets that are being set. How are these supplier relationships changing, do you think? Let's first of all start with, we've got a lot of suppliers, not just in equipment, but obviously we have a lot of ingredients. In fact, we're buying ingredients from 40 countries, that's just over 400 suppliers, and therefore totally acknowledge that our impact is far beyond our direct business operations. You know, it stretches across the whole value chain. 
It's really vital for us that anyone we deal with, we're really confident in their ethical and environmental practices. We can therefore have a positive knock-on into the value chain. So if we can drive improvement through our needs into our suppliers' needs, then there's a positive, more holistic impact there. We have to have strong supplier relationships. That applies to both parties. So therefore, what we do as part of our procurement process with any potential supplier, this is where we need to turn to some third party for some support. So to get under the skin of their sustainability management and performance, then we'll use a third party. An example of that would be the SEDEX data exchange platform. And that allows us to assess all of their ethical risks, sort of build that into our decision making. In its full visibility of the business activities and the people that work within the supply chains that we use. Are you seeing an acceptance of the need for collaboration here between suppliers, but also at a peer level as well? I mean, the fact that we are seeing such ambitious targets around net zero and everything else, there seems to be an acceptance that collaboration is now absolutely 100% necessary. And are you seeing that reflected in the relationships that are evolving? Completely. I mean, I've been in the business long enough, 18 years, in fact, in this business. And the difference today is sustainability is now essential part of the business agenda. Well gone are the days where it's an afterthought. And there's pressure from all businesses, you know, I feel it within Britpick, to deliver real results against our commitments. And how we work with our partners is absolutely no exception to that. We're at that point now, sustainability is not a consideration, it's a necessity. And quite often, actually, having a sustainability-driven goal is the reason in the first place to even form a partnership. Where we're experts in make marketing and selling soft drinks, we need that help every now and again to really get to the sides behind finding the solutions. That's where I see working with partners for collaboration is really important. When you're developing these collaborations, then, what are the keys to identifying effective partners that will deliver mutual benefit for both sides? So stage number one is making sure that any of these partners we've got have actually got the capability sustainably focused values and actually capability to deliver against them. So that's our first start point. We then have our own internal responsible resourcing program. It's very rigorous. It has to be because any potential partner we get has to really perform because it reflects upon our business and our brands. And that's where I already talked about, you know, using third parties to help us in that. I mentioned SEDEX, we use another company, Ecovardis, and they really specialize in this area and they're supplementing our process. We've been doing this for a number of years. In fact, the two companies I mentioned there, we've been working with over the last several years, and it is working for us as a business. So if I go broader than the UK and go to our global footprint now, since 2018, when we put that sourcing program in place, we've now got 79% of all of our suppliers coming through those supplier links and platforms so that we can have real confidence in who we're dealing with. Let's talk a bit about packaging. We've touched on this already. Obviously, the plastic issue, one that's a huge or has been huge for the last few years, one that's really impacting on consumers and their choices as well. What more can you tell us about what Britvic is doing on its packaging impacts and how are your suppliers helping in that? First of all, you know, a world without any packaging waste is what we're after. So the first part of that is making sure that all of our products that go out into the market are actually 100% recyclable. And we're consistent in putting that message on all of our products, whether that's on the bottle, the cap, our cans. And talking of cans, our aluminium cans, they're all 100% recyclable. But actually, more importantly, 74% of what's in them is already recycled. It's not just about 
being able to recycle the products. It's got to go further than that. An example of how we take that packaging in, so take our cans, for example. We have a number of companies that make our cans for us. We don't produce our own cans. But to save on carbon through transport, our biggest site in GB, which is in rugby, for those people that know it, our can manufacturer is next door and we literally deliver the cans through a hole in the wall. A tunnel goes under between the two companies and it pops up the other side. So no transport involved at all in there. The other part of this is about you know, just reducing the amount of packaging. I talked about lightweighting before. You can go one step further. So remove all the packaging. If I take an example of a classic British brand, Robinson Squash, we introduced that a number of years ago into some of the quick serve restaurants such as Subway, KFC, uh, on a dispense, so a fountain solution. So get rid of the packaging in its entirety. And then the other thing is we continue to explore different ways of enhanced recycling, such as chemical breakdown of plastics. We've even got testing on some plant-based bioplastics in some of our brands in France where they're using ethically sourced sugarcane residue. And then the final bit I think to mention here is a circular packaging solution. And Britvic are one of the founding members of Circularity Scotland, which is the administrator for the upcoming Scottish deposit return scheme. We'll continue to campaign for a, a well-run, consistent GB-wide deposit return scheme. How likely do you think that we'll have a GB-wide return scheme? So all the individual governments are committed to various different timeframes on all of this. I spent a number of my years in the USA, uh, 50 different states, very complicated. A vast number of the states do have a deposit return scheme. They make it work together, even with different deposit rates. I feel relatively positive that with the non-government organisations that we're part of and working with the government at a point in time, we'll end up with a good uniform positive return scheme. It's absolutely essential to get the stock material that we all need in the soft drinks industry for recycled PET. And this is somewhere where I guess peer-to-peer collaboration is going to be key. If everyone can agree that this is the specification for the input material and that specification allows it to be recycled as easily as possible, then that perhaps is a real going to be the sort of game changer. Absolutely. And we work through a couple of big organisations. The Soft Drinks Association, clues in the title. Our managing director is the president of that association and they're working hard as a peer set group to come up with solutions, but also the Food and Drink Federation. So if we expand it into packaging beyond soft drinks, but other areas that might use recycled PT, all of which will benefit dramatically from a deposit return scheme, as we see across other parts of the world, and in particular Europe. You mentioned aluminium cans earlier. Are you seeing a trend away from PET bottles into aluminium cans? Because I mean, aluminium being something that can be infinitely recycled. It's difficult to answer in the context of the question. So we are seeing growth in both our PET products and our can products. There might be a nuance to the fact that we had more opportunity to grow in cans. So very specifically, we are, but I'm not uh, 100% sure that that's related to consumer preference on recyclability, as opposed to it's a great price for a great brand. And we weren't selling it two years ago because we didn't have the capability. You mentioned consumers. How are you seeing consumer expectations around all these issues changing? In a number of ways. I mean, I started off right at the beginning talking about things like calorie reduction. We're probably seeing some of the biggest changes in content of product 
around ethically sourced ingredients, calorie reduction, removal of preservatives or non-natural products. A big shift to that, and we can see that coming in growth of our products. So the number one cola in the market for us is Pepsi Max, which is a zero sugar cola and has been. So that has outgrown our added sugar colas for a long, long time now. When it comes to other areas such as packaging, it's much harder to get a read because there's so many things driving consumer behavior once you get to point of purchase. What we do know, though, from studies is that certainly the new consumers, younger generation coming out, are much more aware of sustainability issues. And therefore, they've got a real passion for the environment and social justice. And that's something that we're really, really conscious of and trying to tap into. And a lot of that will come through in the future, I think, around as much as what you do as how you tell that story through your marketing and engagement with your consumer base. Yes, it certainly feels that the sustainability issues, plastic being a prime example, or the use of plastic being a prime example, really is engaging consumers now in a way that it never used to. And you mentioned earlier the kind of the power of the brand. Do you see your role as to develop a consumer awareness of these issues? And collectively, that's how we will all move towards the net zero future that so many brands are now committing to. We've got an internal statement around allowing people to enjoy everyday moments. And that relates very much to what's important to you. Being able to deliver, first of all, against what consumers want, so the future needs, whether that is more sustainable packaging, whether that's calorie reduction. But the other thing is we've got a massive responsibility into educating. Like I said before, how we advertise our brand, what we put in them, actually, we can have a real impact on society and lead an agenda for consumers and the environment. For us, it's about hitting the targets we've committed to, but also about ever-evolving them. Uh, pace of change is massive and the agenda that we're talking about today wouldn't have been a conversation 10 years ago and in 10 years time I dare say it will have moved forward a considerable amount and therefore hit what you've got now but we've got to continually revise what we're aiming to do as an organisation. I think it's very exciting how businesses are evolving the conversations as you say and the fact that these have to evolve further to get to the net carbon zero future that where people are looking at for 2050 and there's an acceptance that these conversations do have to evolve because we don't know yet how exactly it's all going to happen. People have a good idea, but the actual end solution to get to complete net zero isn't all in place yet. So the, as you say, the conversations are going to have to continually evolve. Nigel, thanks very much for your time. It's been fascinating hearing all about what's going on at Britvic. Thank you very much for your time. Good to speak to you.